This is Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles. Hey, that's a hell of a job coming down here being the good football team. Three-step drop, throws all the end zone. Caught ball! Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Mike Evans reaches up with one hand and grabs it in. Brought to you by Advent Health. With award-winning care and a network of convenient locations, Advent Health is here to help you feel whole. Learn more at yourcareyournetwork.com. Fire the cannons! Now your host, Bucks team reporter Casey Phillips and head coach Todd Bowles. Welcome to Buccaneers Total Access. We are joined by head coach Todd Bowles. Uh, coach, I know uh, sorry for the way things ended. It's always got to be a tough time of year for everybody in the building as you know that maybe you're saying goodbye to some of the players for uh, the last time that the roster will never look exactly the same and, and it's just a tough time of year for everybody involved with the team and um, so what are your your big feelings and emotions after a game like that knowing that it's the end of the season and definitely sooner than you guys hoped it would be obviously you're disappointed and you never want to end the game with a loss like that especially the way we played it and you know that some of the guys aren't going to be back next year because of free agency, the draft picks coming in, people getting hurt. So there's going to be about 10 to 15 guys every year on the team. So you're not promised next year. So we got to make sure we do a good job of sorting everything out, uh, meeting as a staff and making sure we iron out everything going into next year. But the loss definitely hurts. And so looking at it, I'm going to use my journalism degree here to ask the very deep question. What happened? What went wrong? <laughs> Started out fine defensively. We never got going offensively. Uh, Dak made two good scrambles on third down. Defensively, we're not very good in the red zone. I don't think we can move the ball at all on offense, no matter where we were on the field. And kind of just snowballed us. And some of the things that occurred during the season happened at the end of the game. What was your message to the guys in the locker room after the game? Should be disappointed, very disappointed, deeply disappointed, you know. Proud of the way we fought back all year. Obviously, it wasn't good enough. We know it wasn't good enough. We have to do better. We have to do things as coaches and players to get better. But the effort was outstanding. We know we're not going to be the same team next year. We know a lot of the guys in the room aren't going to be there next year. But those who come back, we got to create new culture, new chemistry, and new camaraderie. You know, And we'll have new people coming in if you're lucky enough to come back or privileged enough to come back. Be ready to work. And uh, how about an update on uh, Russell Gage? I know that when it comes to the disappointment in football, it's never as big a deal as just guys being healthy and safe. So uh, what do you know about him at this point? Uh, right now he has all his extremities moving. Uh, he has a concussion, uh, the neck injuries he's been cleared of, and you know he should be released soon. And then how about uh, on the other side of the injury front, getting Ryan Jensen back? This had to be a, an interesting saga for you. So tell me on, on your side of things, how all those decision-making uh, processes went this last week between you and the trainers and Ryan himself and uh, just everything that went into deciding when and if to activate him. Watching him move around in practice the last couple weeks, uh, understanding where he was, getting him in the team activities. Have to trust him to a degree and understand there's always that threat of a 300-pounder falling on your leg and you can't do anything about that. But that's not funny he came even if you were already there. healthy. <laughs> That's very true. He came out there and he fought, he battled. Uh, he played a full game and that, that was impressive in itself. Did that surprise you to an extent after not playing football for so long? It really did. I thought him and Hainsey were going to split time because Hainsey played some tough games this year and, and Jensen took every snap and he felt okay afterwards. 
how much was activating him and, and wanting him to play due to the injuries to uh, Hainsey the week before, Leverett not being able to go, or would you have wanted to use Jensen regardless, even if both of those guys had been completely healthy? No, if he dressed, we'd have wanted to use him. You know, it had nothing to do with the other two guys being hurt. It's about the progress he was making. I think the timing was right, and those two were injured, but the timing was right for him to play. What did you see it mean to the team going into the game uh, to know he was back out there? And I think about how even in the stadium they used him for a hype video and, um, you know, just thinking about how much we've talked about him separate from just the X's and O's, but what he brings from an attitude standpoint, a veteran leadership standpoint. I thought it was good for morale, for the offensive line, for the quarterback, and really Ryan himself to show that he's out there and he can play after that longer layoff to come out there and play a full game and hit some guys and actually play in a physical game and not even practice was important for his confidence. And was the unnecessary roughness call a sign that he was really fully back? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how about with him in there, the offensive line as a whole, and, and again, kind of what went into the decision on you know, Hainsey being his backup, Gedeke going in there at left guard, what all went into, and once you knew Jensen would be available, how you lined up the rest of the guys, and then what that ended up looking like. We thought we'd play Ryan first, because if Hainsey played first and got hurt, we didn't know how long Ryan would last. So we started to play Ryan first, and he was feeling better after every snap, and we decided to let it ride. And then what did you think of the play of the offensive line as a whole? I know that the Cowboys front was something we'd talked about was going to be a very big challenge and that they bring a lot of different looks with some, some pretty talented guys. Well, they're a handful. Obviously, we didn't score a lot of points, so we didn't play well at, in any phase, obviously. But they battled early on, and Dallas got through. Again, they, they have a lot of sacks. They have a lot of pressure players, and we tried to hold up as long as we could. We can do a better job there. We're talking to head coach Todd Bowles. And uh, how about Tom Brady's game? Uh, we know it was another one where he ended up having to throw a whole lot. Um, and there was some pressure in his face. So looking at both of those things, uh, what did you see from, from his game overall? It wasn't one of his best games. I think anytime you throw the ball 60-plus times and you don't run and a good pass rushing team can pin their ears back, you're going to have a problem. So there was pressure coming from everywhere. Uh, we got behind. And as we went into the second half, we started throwing more and more, and they were just teeing off as far as rushing, so they were affecting some throws. And we know that was his first red zone uh, interception as a Buccaneer. Uh, what exactly happened on that play? Uh, it's just a bad play by him. You know, he had a bad play on that play. There's no other way to explain it. I know that uh, Chris Godwin um, was definitely, as he's been so often, a, a bright spot still in, in some of these games and ended up with a franchise record for receptions in a playoff game with 10 and broke Keyshawn Johnson's record for receptions in a season in Bucks history. So, um, and again, just knowing that that would be impressive no matter what, but to be coming off the injury that he was, what did that say to you, both from just who he is off the field, but then what it also said about the kind of player he still can be now after this injury? Determination, sheer determination and grit from him to come back and to play at the level he's playing at right now is just great to see. You know, he's an inspiration to a lot of people coming off of injuries. He should have been up for comeback player of the year, I thought. Uh, he should have been that guy. but. To help us in the way he helped us and the way he's coming around and becoming a leader, more importantly, you know, it's going to be great dividends going forward. And again, part of 
him getting those numbers was, as you mentioned, having to throw so many times and uh, both being behind and then the run game not being as effective. What did you see that the Cowboys did well against the run game or that we just weren't doing as well as you guys would have hoped to keep that run game from getting activated early before you guys were behind in a place to not be able to run as much? I don't know if we stayed with it long enough. I thought we had some creases here and there. We were getting three and four yards, which isn't bad. I think we got in too many third and long. We didn't have too many third and manageables. And once you get in third and long in a group like that, they can tee off more. I know defensively you guys held them to some three and outs early, which is always, I'm sure, you know, a great sign exactly what you're wanting to be able to get started a little bit quicker. But then it felt like something just shifted and suddenly they're going on these 80, 90-yard drives, sustaining them, putting some points up. What seemed to shift, you know, starting out those those three and outs, getting Dak to be 0-3 to begin, and then he went on that run for 11 straight completions. Did they change what they were doing? Did something start happening defensively there? I thought we lost our composure. I, I thought we let the quarterback out the pocket, and we busted a coverage or two, and I don't think we got it back. So for you, when I know you've mentioned even in your post-game press conference that some of those lapses were day one installs, as a coach, what do you do when it feels that way of does it make you feel like for this next year the way you alter how you install some things or the communication with some of the guys on the team what what is that for you now of that next step of thinking man these guys weren't executing something i thought we had down day one well you don't reteach your coaching you reteach some of the things and look at what you can fix and what you can't fix sometimes they just mess up you know and and you got to straighten that part of it out and yesterday was one of those ball games and tell us about the decision to go with uh, Sean Murphy Bunting as the starter opposite Carlton instead of Jamel in this game. Well, Jamel was hurt, you know, a couple weeks ago. Then he got sick right after that, and he was just coming around this week. Uh, Sean had the hot hand at the time, and he was playing very good and very smart football. So we decided to go with the hot hand. Not that we couldn't have used Dean. I thought there was going to be a place to use him, but once they got ahead, they never really gave us the opportunity to turn it into a passing game to put him in there. And Vita Vea gets another sack. Uh, that was an area that he definitely produced some stats in, uh, especially early in the year and, and just for his position in such huge numbers, unlike so many other people. Why was that something that you felt like you saw him do at an even higher level this year, especially while he was healthy earlier in the year? I think he stayed on his feet more this year. He had opportunities in the past where he fell down and he, he didn't stay upright. He stayed on his feet a lot more and he got pushed in the pocket. He's understanding from a hand placement standpoint, what he has to do once he gets close to the quarterback. All right, well, we have more coming up here on Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles, brought to you by Advent Health. This is Buccaneers Radio. Buccaneers Total Access, brought to you by Advent Health. Pressure coming up the gut. Matt Prescott goes down. He's sacked for the first time of the game. Devin White, linebacker blitz. Now more with head coach Todd Bowles and Bucs team reporter Casey Phillips. Welcome back into Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles. Uh, all right, so now since this is our final one of these of the year, figured we'd look back a little bit on the season and ahead towards this next offseason and season as well. Um, I'm going to take Brady off the table because that's, of course, always an easier answer. But how about the MVP of the season for you that outside of a quarterback, just in general, because that's, that's cheating it feels like. So outside of him, who would you give the MVP of the season to? Chris Godwin. Hmm. Tell me why. Uh, not only battled back from injury, he does a heck of a job blocking. He does a heck of a job catching the football. He brought toughness back to our offense. He moved the chains. He's everything a Buccaneer epitomizes. And 
he's got nothing but better since he's gotten back. That's great. And how about a most improved player? Anthony Nelson hmm. and Jamel Dean. I think the, I think Nelson really came into his own when Shaq got hurt. He had some big sack fumbles. I thought Dean, the first half or three quarters of the year, was one of the best cover guys in the league. Wow, that's pretty incredible. And that's got to be exciting for you when you see guys making such strides uh, like that. And then on a similar note, um, your rookies, always a group that you hope you see big things from the first year and improvement as well. So when you look at that group as a whole, how do you kind of rate the, the rookie class and, and who are the guys that really stand out to you as to having really good rookie years? I thought they did a good job coming in, being professional and understanding the system. I thought Kate Otten, Rashad White, obviously Cole Keefe, they did some great things. I thought Zion did some good things on special teams. Logan Hall did not have the st statistics, but I thought as the season went on from a fundamental standpoint, understanding the run game and playing strong, I thought he got better and better, and I thought he bought in, and toward the end of the year, you know, we weren't even calling his name for M.E.s, and he was playing strong, and he was jacking up some linemen. I look for him to get stronger and better in the offseason. And Kamarda, obviously from day one, he's been a boomer guy, but he's been a big factor all year. Yeah, with Logan, what do you see as the potential for him in the ways that now you've seen him for a whole year that you might be able to use him a little differently? He's, he's built sort of interesting in terms of the physique for a defensive lineman, and I know that there's even some times in the game that you used four versus three. And um, What do you see as the way that he could potentially be used in a, in a unique way? I think he's the ideal three technique, but he's, he can also line up outside at end or even stand in a two-point because he has that type of athleticism. Uh, He's gotten stronger and stronger, and the more he knows inside, the better he's going to be. I like him inside because the guards aren't as athletic, and he can use his quickness to get pass rush moves. But we try to limit his pass rush until he learns how to play to run. But I think he's going to be better next year. So now as you look back on the year, I know that points were just a little harder to come by than they had been the last couple of years or than I'm sure you guys expected them to be. What is in the hindsight maybe some of the things that have stood out as to why that was? What were any little individual things that you can pinpoint as to why points just seemed to be a little bit more elusive this year? Well, we weren't the same team. Obviously, we had new interior guys playing and we had guys playing in different spots and tight end and obviously receivers so it took us a while to get going to figure out who we were all year as opposed to just line up and try to beat guys you had to we had to really work schematically trying to get these guys to fit where we wanted them to fit and how about the special teams play i mean between drafting a punter and there was a kicker battle in training camp and i know there have definitely been some draft picks the last few years used with special teams in mind um all of the phases of special teams, where would you say that went this year as compared to maybe last year or some of the ways that you saw improvement in that unit? I thought we upgraded that punter. I, I think Jake has a big leg, and once he controls it fully, I think we'll be very effective that way. I think Ryan was very efficient this year, but we got to be able to kick longer field goals than we've kicked. I think we got to get past the 47 yards and be able to kick some 50 and 55 yards as well, but he was very efficient that way. Uh, coverage units, I thought Tompkins came in at the end of the year. He has a lot of potential. Uh, he takes care of the football. He hits the ball up the middle. He's going to get better and better. I think we need to be a little more athletic from a coverage team, team standpoint. Zion flashed early and they started double teaming him, but he, he can be a hell on wheels when he's single because he's, he's so fast getting down the field and he can make a difference. We just have to get some people to help him.
We're talking to head coach Todd Bowles. Um, I know that, again, run defense something that you really take a lot of pride in, and there were uh, some ups and downs in that this year of some games that a lot was given up and some games you guys held some teams that are known for it to very few. Uh, what seemed to be the, the biggest factors on what led to a game that you were really happy with that performance versus not? How much was it just the personnel of who was healthy versus not in certain games in terms of having guys like Vita and Akeem getting to play alongside each other versus just the execution of anybody? I think it was just gap responsibility, you know. And in the past, I think we sold out to stop the run at the expense of the pass game. I think this year the pass game has went down immensely and we were just okay against the run. At times we were a little up and down, but the runs that got out, I think we're more gap control responsibility than them just blocking us and us picking the wrong gap and, and not playing disciplined football. And I know today uh, is basically the start of the offseason and that you had exit interviews today. And so now what is the process for you um, between today and then moving forward, these first steps of for you as a head coach, what your role is in this offseason, especially because this is your first one going into it immediately day one as the head coach? Well, there's still exit interviews tomorrow. Uh, we'll continue to talk to the players, and then once the players are out the building, we'll meet as a staff individually, and then we'll meet as a group to see what we can do better and review the season and what we need going forward and kind of go from there. How different will it be this year for you getting to be in this role now as compared to the fact that you didn't enter into it until March 30th? Um, what are the ways that you feel like that could change how you try to do things this offseason? I think it, it changes because you, you get to set your own schedule. You get to set uh, what type of guys you're looking for. You get, you get to talk to guys and get their input on things and coaches of how we want to do things going forward. I think it reshapes the dynamic of the team. And you, you get to have a lot more input in what kind of team you want. You know, I'm not saying we didn't have a good team, but you always have different inputs that you want to put and and still when you get it like March 30th, the schedule's set, the calendar's set, you know, you're close to the draft, you know, everything's kind of where it was and you have to go through the year that way. But this year you get to tweak some things that you want to tweak and not have to rush into it. How much do you hope to be in communication with Jason about making your mark on the types of players that are brought in either in the draft or free agency? And, and if you were to describe you know, some of the Todd Bowles players that you would want brought in here. What is that looking like in terms of their skills or the, who they are on and off the field? What would be the, the kind of prototypical Todd Bowles players? Me and Jason talk every day. You know, we'll get into that down the line. But for me, you know, fast, smart, and tough. You know, that that's really, and everybody's looking for that, you know. <laughs> Everyone's looking for that, but that's kind of what you want. I think we need to get faster all the way around. Definitely, we got to play smarter, and we definitely like tough guys. And then now with so many free agents, of course, starting with uh, not knowing if Tom Brady is coming back and then just knowing how many people on this team you don't know for sure are set to be on the roster for next year, how does that change uh, these next, you know, maybe a couple months for you? Or, or what is that like as a unique challenge when um, especially someone like your quarterback that there's a little bit of uncertainty in the way you try to go in and start planning for a bunch of different scenarios? Well, there's a big challenge in doing that, but, you know, there's also a lot of fun in trying to figure all that out. You try to take it day by day and enjoy the moment, and the conversations will commence in the next coming days and weeks, and we'll work out a strategy and a plan, and we'll see where everyone is, and we'll go forward from there. 
So what would you say would be the biggest goals for next season for you other than getting to say winning the Super Bowl? We know that that's obviously the big goal every time, so I'm going to take that one away from you. But otherwise, what are maybe some of the smaller along-the-way goals that you would like to see hit with the way that you want this team to play? Well, it starts with the offseason. You know, with COVID finally being over, we, we need to have a solid offseason. Uh, it was okay last year. It needs to be more solid this year. I think we need to be faster all the way around as a team. I think we need more team speed. And me and Jason talk about that all the time. So that that's the start of it, and that's the beginning of it. And we'll kind of build it around that and see what, who we can sign and who we can't sign and kind of formulate our plan of building the team that way. And we'll close with this. I know every year is a unique one, has its own unique challenges, exciting things. Um, what are the biggest things that you feel like you – learned about being a head coach or what it takes to be a head coach after a year like this one or this experience, what it taught you about you as a head coach? Just patience and determination. You know, you, you have to make sure you don't blink and you keep the focus of the team about the team. And when you lose, you really have to keep that even more so. And, and that's important. And I thought those guys did a good job of blocking out the outside noise because Everyone's going to love you when you win. Everyone's going to hate you when you lose. And you got to have thick skin and move on. But you have to understand that it's a process and the team is different and the coaches are different and we're building towards something. So you learn patience and determination. Well, Coach, thank you so much, as always, this year for all of your time each week. I know your schedule is insane. So we, we thank you very much for taking the time out every week to talk to us this year. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us on Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles, brought to you by Advent Health. This is Buccaneers Radio. You're listening to Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles and Bucks insider Casey Phillips, brought to you by Advent Health. Welcome back into Buccaneers Total Access. First half of the show, we had head coach Todd Bowles, and now I am so excited to be joined by senior writer and editor Scott Smith, who is taking one for the team and having to come in here after the tough loss and talk about it. So thank you, Scott. I, I really appreciate it. I like to think you saved the best for last. That's exactly Since this is my, right. my first appearance You're, on this show. That's true, which is a big deal. I mean, you and I have done 18 trillion other shows <laughs> together, but yeah, this is a good one to throw on here. I do here. feel like a little bit of a sacrificial lamb, but I'll get through it. Yes, <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, that's that's exactly what you are at this point. <laughs> um, okay, so let's start off with some of the takeaways from the Cowboys. I know we're going to get into the bigger picture in terms of the season over we're all looking forward to the offseason. But for now, just big biggest takeaways for you from that game, which I know is a, a definitely not the way the team wanted to go out. I would say on offense, if you had told me before the game that I was going to look at the stat page at the end and see that uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Julio Jones combined for 233 receiving yards, I'd have felt pretty good about that outcome because yeah. what I was concerned about was would the protection hold up long enough for Tom Brady to stand in the pocket a little bit more and, you know, make use of those big receivers on the outside. And, of course, Chris Godwin in the slot. And um, because we saw two weeks ago, the last real game the Buccaneers played, not really discounting the Atlanta game, that uh, when he had time and when he stood in the pocket longer, we still could make those explosive plays, especially with Mike Evans. So when you have Mike Evans and Julio Jones going off on the outside, and he did hit Julio on a 30-year touchdown pass, and then Chris Godwin doing his magic out of the slot, that's an offense that really seems like it would work. Unfortunately, it took 66 throws to get there. Right, which so, is yeah. not a thing you typically want to ask of a quarterback, much less a 45-year-old one. Second most passes ever thrown yeah. in a playoff game. That's and crazy. That's, I know that Coach Bowles, and I agree with him, will always answers the question about balance by saying it's not about balance, that's not the goal, but 
sometimes you need a little bit more of it, yes. right? Yeah, Especially against a team that can really pin its ears back and come after the quarterback. Right. And to your point, uh, as you talked about the protection of it, of course, we got the huge news about Ryan Jensen coming back earlier in the day before the game. Um, what were your thoughts of when you heard he was going to be activated, then you heard he was actually going to start, and then what they chose to do with the rest of the line once that happened? Because that was something we talked about, that even when he came back, okay, what does this mean? Does Hainsey move over? Does he not? Do you, you know, lever it and get a key and all these things? Um, so tell me about your thoughts of him coming back, what they did with the line, and just what that meant to the team. Yeah, we started to get word or at least information trickling in towards the end of the week that, hey, this could actually happen. Because at the beginning of the week, I still thought it was a one-more-week process. And you did have until Tuesday to act today to activate him. So you could have had him ready for the next game had there been a next game. Uh, so, but we started finding out at the end of the week that that was going to happen and, th and that the way Nick Leverett was banged up, that he probably wasn't going to play, and so Luke Edeke was going to step back in there like he did in the first half of the season. And it was a lift, I think, for the whole team. He, he got a chance to practice for two weeks, and by the end, he was taking a lot of offensive snaps. So Ryan Jensen was ready to go. Now, I'm fortunate to have listened to you and, and Coach Bowles talk a little bit ago, and uh, – I, I'm happy I did because I got the answer because I was surprised that he played every snap. I did not expect that. Mm -hmm. And so as it turns out, that wasn't necessarily the plan going in, but he just did well and he yeah. felt good. Which is amazing. And he, you know, brought that attitude right back. That he did. <laughs> you know, got to love that. You got to love the the fiery ginger getting in there and making his presence Big known. Big Red getting in there. Um, I know that it wasn't necessarily the offensive line's uh, best game overall. How much that. was that because of what the Cowboys did, yeah. what the O-line did, and, and just, you know, as we look at what they did all year of, of the strengths and weaknesses of a group that went through so much adversity? You know, you know how when you ask about the opposing team in the week leading up to it and coaches will say something along the lines of, they'll say some sort of cliche sort of sense. And this past week, uh, one of the coaches said, number 11 is everywhere. Mm -hmm. We put on the tape and number 11 is everywhere, which is kind of a cliche or, you know, a common phrasing, but that's actually what it looked they like. They meant it. Every time you were seeing chaos, it looked like Micah Parsons was in the middle of it. And I don't think he got a sack, but he was definitely creating chaos. And then the other thing was, by the numbers, Dallas might have been the best red zone team in the league, especially when you combine both offense and defense. Right. And it really showed up. I mean, when we got down there, you know, it took a little while for the offense to get going, but then it did start to move the ball and eventually got close to 400 yards. But you just couldn't capitalize as much as you wanted to in the red zone. And of course, the one turnover was probably the, the key play of the game. Yeah. And just something – we've had some red zone struggles this year, but not turnovers. And that was a very – unique and unfortunate one it just seemed like he and I think he said after the game he was just trying to throw it away he agreed to, he was asked if that's what he's doing and he said yes and he just didn't get enough on it yeah I mean, which is the most unfortunate way to end up with an interception and I, I know that again he was pressured a lot in this game um, but other than that what did you see from Brady's game overall and, and some of the plays he was still able to make and then some of the ones I'm sure he would love to have back you know if you look at this season as a whole I think Tom Brady did a lot more good things than bad things he ended up with you know, 4,600 yards, and the touchdowns were down, but the whole offense was kind of different this mm -hmm. year, right? I thought he played well for a, balance, for a good balance of the season, and you're not going to win your division if he's not playing well, right? But this wasn't his best game. I think yeah. everybody would agree with that, and there were some missed throws, and, and obviously a decision or two that he would probably like to have back. But, you know, if we could have just been – if we could have just capitalized a bit more in the red zone and, and on defense – also done better in the red zone and not have, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but there were some glaring breakdowns at times. 
if you could have solved that, I think Tom probably played well enough that you would have had a shot to win it at you the end. You could have salvaged and it. And then if you had – see, that's how I thought the game was going to go. Mm-hmm. And then it would be close into the end, and then we'd have Tom Brady, which, which is an advantage, even though Dak Prescott is a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. Having Tom Brady in the playoffs when you need a game-winning drive, you got to feel good about that. It just it didn't get to that point. For sure. <laughs> uh, we're talking to senior writer and editor Scott Smith. So uh, one of the bright spots was Chris Godwin as I talked to, you know, coach about, but um, with his franchise record for receptions in a playoff game, you know, breaking Keyshawn Johnson's record for receptions in a season in Bucks history. Looking at this game, looking at the season overall, and just who he is, I just love getting to, I don't think there are enough words for us to talk about what he's done at this point, particularly coming off the injury. I mean, I feel like it would be incredible this season regardless. So what did you see as to the progression this season where he ended up, is he 100% of the Chris Godwin before? Because that's always the question with those kind of injuries, is is this guy ever going to be the same guy he was before? I think he is now. He probably wasn't in September mm-hmm. or even in October, but he rounded into shape. And even when he wasn't fully himself, he was still a very productive player. So what I would say about, if you ask me my impressions of Chris Godwin's season, he was the one, he, was the, he became the focal point of the offense. He was the one guy that produced pretty much every game, um, even when Tom Brady had to get rid of the ball quickly, we could still get things done with Chris because he does so well with the ball in his hands and he runs sharp routes and he's fearless going around the middle. And so he just he just kept getting better and better. And like you said, he broke the record. Now, it was funny because he got yanked from the Atlanta game because it didn't matter before halftime. I already had six catches at that point, Jeez. but I was a bit bummed because yeah. at that point he was at 104 and Keyshawn's record is 106, and that still stands if it's only regular season. But as you mentioned, if you add in the postseason, yep. and Keyshawn got to play in one postseason game that year too, Chris Godwin has the record at 114 over 109. So I was I was happy to see him get that. I don't know how much that really matters to him, but um, he got over a thousand yards. He just he was the best chain mover for the Buccaneers on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And so you brought up uh, some of the red zone struggles in the game uh, and, and also defensively. Um, it felt in some ways so similar to how the season ended last year of just some breakdowns in communication or um, execution that led to some pretty wide open guys and, mm-hmm. and just some, man, how did this happen yeah. kind of plays. Uh, what did you see that, that felt similar or different in that and, and how this defense who had been such a strength of the team all year, suddenly in this game it felt like in the secondary there just were some some major miscommunications and missed assignments. I know we were all very, very happy to be getting so many guys back. Vita Vea, Carlton Davis, uh, Logan Bryan, Mike Edwards, Carl Nassib, a bunch of guys that didn't play either in just the last game or the last few games of the season. But I wonder when you're changing your lineup kind of drastically, if you're opening yourself up, and there's nothing you can do about it. You needed to put these guys on the field. But were some of these breakdowns the result of communication problems because you were kind of shifting the lineup a little bit? And if, as you know, as Sean Murphy Bunting, for instance, played so well in his four starts, filling in for injured Carlton and injured Jamel, that they decided to keep going with him because he was, they said, ride yeah, the hot, hot hand, hand with Jamel a little dinged up and a little sick. And, and he had a fine game, but, you know, things like that. Was there, were there communication issues? Mm-hmm. And then otherwise... It's, it's just, I think Coach Bowles used the word, it's just disappointing because yeah. you know those guys are capable of playing well, and we saw it on the first couple drives, but there's just some breakdowns, especially on that one touchdown that was wide open. You know, that's the, I think it was on fourth down, and that's the kind of play where you're like, how, did this, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of snowballs a little bit, 
It's, you know, you get a few of those in the second quarter, a few in the third quarter, and, and I think you'd see the body language. The guys are disappointed that it's going this way and that they can't get off the field and they can't get the red zone stop. And I think it just starts to snowball a little bit and then more, more problems happen, more mistakes are made. Mm-hmm. So how about the, for you looking at the season, some of the biggest surprises about this season or about this team? Well, you already mentioned Godwin. I think mm-hmm. that for him to do as much as he did is a big surprise. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a surprise. I guess maybe that the offense never really gelled. I would call that the surprise. And the team as a whole really, it felt like, and I think Levante, David said this in the locker room today, that they just never got over the hump. Mm. And you kept expecting it to happen, right? Because this is a talented roster. You know, maybe not as talented as the last two years, lost some key players, some to retirement, some to injury, some to free agency. And so maybe, you know, we shouldn't have expected 30 points a game, but I did think that the offense was going to click in some point, find out what it does best, find out how to do that on a consistent basis, get better protection on a consistent basis from the offensive line. And it just, the offense just never clicked. Yeah. And I would say that was the part that surprised me. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so then now, of course, the question becomes, is Tom Brady the quarterback here next year? Uh, the question we will all be talking about on all of our shows for mm until he makes a decision one way or the other. And so for you, as we watch this, what is this going to look like moving forward with and without Brady of how this team approaches free agency, the draft next year? What does that look like with and without him? It's a huge question. It really is because I think we saw at the last, at like the 11th hour last year as free agency was approaching a big shift in the approach and and the guys that wanted to come back when Tom Brady unretired. And now it wasn't... Are the Bucks going to be wandering into quarterback wasteland? What's the answer there? Do we know? Do do I want to stick with this? Is it going to, you know, guys like Carlton Davis and Leonard Fournette and guys that could have gotten good contracts elsewhere chose to stay, and a lot of that was because of Brady. So wouldn't you be in pretty much the exact same situation? The Buccaneers only have one quarterback under contract right now, and that's Kyle Trask. So it's a mystery again. Now, if, if Tom Brady comes back, you're clearly still in all-in mode. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's no point of Tom Brady coming back to this same team at the age of 46 unless the Bucks are going all out for the right. Super Bowl. So I think that would change your approach, probably make you more aggressive and probably make you more likely. I'm, by you, I mean the team and the mm-hmm. decision makers upstairs. Oh, are you saying I'm not the one making the decision on <laughs> well, this? Shocking. If you have the money, I'm yeah. sure they would let you make the decisions. Yeah, I'll but, go <clears> check my couch cushions. A couple you know? billion. Yeah. You, you know how in the last two years last few years, the Buccaneers finally started doing what you call kicking the can down the road a little bit mm-hmm. with these contracts and, and making contract structures so you can keep more of your guys right now and still get under the cap, even though you know you're going to pay for it a little bit down the road. I don't know if the Buccaneers will do that if Tom Brady isn't coming back, right? right. Because now the future is a little, more, a little hazier. Yeah. And I think that they would prefer to do business the way they were doing business before they decided to go all in and that you manage the cap, you don't get in, into cap hell at any point, and you have a very maneuverable roster that you can you can make additions to if you need to, or you can you know say we're not going to do that one. Um, so I think that will have a lot to do with it because with Tom Brady you're definitely all in. Without Tom Brady, I don't know they're going to decide that. They're going to look at the roster over the next couple months and go, what do we got here? What do we need? Who's leaving? Who are we going to replace? And it's going to be a little wild to know if this team is in the same full 100% all-in mode. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. I know Bowles has talked about even then reload versus rebuild and 
That, either way, they're reloading. Yeah. Depends well, on. No coach really wants to say reload. No, they don't. No, that's that's not the word you. And fans use. don't want to hear it. To be to be frank. Yeah, that's also true. All right, we have one more segment coming up here on Buccaneers Total Access with senior writer and editor Scott Smith. Brought to you by Advent Health. This is Buccaneers Radio. Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Todd Bowles now continues. Brought to you by Advent Health. Welcome back into Buccaneers Total Access. I'm joined by Buccaneers senior writer and editor Scott Smith. Uh, we're breaking down this last season and also looking forward to this next one. So um, the rookies are an interesting group. I feel like uh, they were just a really interesting storyline, maybe even more than a lot of other years typical. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me your biggest takeaways if you look at the class as a whole and then some of the individuals that stand out to you in that group and what it could mean for the future of this franchise. Yeah, it's funny because you look back, you mentioned other seasons, you look back to the 2020 Super Bowl season, and you had two rookies who were key stars and top producers in Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield Jr., which was a bit of a surprise for a team that good that you would be relying on rookies like that. You're not drafting number one overall. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then this year, it was more, I feel like more, it was, a, it was more of a collective positive addition to the team. You didn't have a superstar. I don't think any of our rookies are going to be on the all-rookie teams, right? Right. But you had Rashad White, who really really did well and really became a good complement with Leonard Fournette, but the running game wasn't great, right? And you had Coke Keeft, who stepped in and basically became the starter in, in the wake of Rob Gronkowski's retirement. And, um, you know, and Cameron Brait really isn't that much of a full-time player anymore. Coke Keeft, another draft pick, is a nice player for what he does, but he's not a why every down tight end. Um, so it was good to see Coe do that, block well enough to be on the field for most snaps and, and give you some production out there. Jake Camarda obviously made a huge difference on special teams, broke the, broke the Bucks' single-season record for gross punting average and for most punts over 60 yards. I think he had about 15 of them, which was incredible. And then Devin Tompkins kind of came on a little bit at the end. Uh, Zion McCollum had some ups and downs on special teams, but really showed off that speed and looks like he could he could be a big impact player there as his, his career develops and um, hopefully also will give you something on special teams. Yeah. I know that are your first two picks, which when you form a draft class, you think, okay, these are the guys that are definitely going to produce. Right. And then hopefully we get something out of the thirds, the fourths, the fifths. As it turned out, by numbers at least, Luke Gedeke, well, Logan Hall, the first, these were both second rounders, but Logan Hall, the first pick, and then Luke Gedeke, the second pick. Luke did start the first seven games. Then he got hurt and really couldn't get his job back until the very end. Did, did show us in one game that he could play right tackle, so that could be part of his future as well. And then Logan Hall, um, I think what Coach Bowles would say or did say is that you don't look at the numbers with him. You look at what you saw and what you think he can become, the things that he does well, the, the position where he might thrive, like three technique, although he can move around the line a lot. So with the, with the first two guys, it's probably more about what are they going to become in the future. But the rest of them did enough that the rookie class made an impact that I think was pretty positive. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. And I do feel like Kate Otten in particular was a guy that I you know loved watching and, and saw some really big growth from in an area that from the beginning of the season, especially to the end, we just saw increased trust maybe from Brady towards him and, and some just to see him make catches in some of these game-winning yeah. situations I thought was a, a really encouraging thing about what he could mean to the franchise moving forward. Now we get into the fun topic of free agents wow. this year. Uh, there will be another draft class, and uh, man, you, you may end up needing to replace – a whole lot of people in some way or another this yeah. offseason. Uh, so take us through some of the notable 
free agents and just how much is going to be going on in that front office trying to build a, a roster this next year. Do you see this piece of paper I brought with me? Yes. I know this is great radio, yeah. talking about looking at a piece of paper, but this column right here is who's an unrestricted free agent in 2023 and everyone that's green. Do you see all that green? Yeah. That is a lot. That is a lot. Uh, three quarterbacks, three receivers, uh, a bunch of defensive backs, several offensive linemen, several outside linebackers. Um, yeah, I think, though, where you start, where the question marks are the biggest are in the secondary. Mm. Because you have three guys that you drafted and developed and have played well. Mike Edwards, Sean Murphy, Sean Bunting. Murphy Bunting, and Jamel Dean, all in that same draft class, all headed to free agency this year. And it might be tough to keep all of them. So you're going to have to prioritize who yeah. you want back the most. Who's your number one guy out of that? Because getting all three back would be tough, especially after you paid Carlton Davis a lot right. last year. So... That's what they're going to sit up there and decide. But I would think with both Sean and Jamel, you would try really hard to keep at least one of them. Mm -hmm. You have a little bit more safety depth, uh, although, you know, Logan Ryan and Keanu Neal are on one-year deals as well. So that secondary is probably going to need some reloading either in free agency or the draft. That's where I think I would start. So then for you, so what are the biggest draft needs in your mind looking at the combination of that free agent class, and then just what this season looked like in terms of where they might need some shoring up? I think it's going to depend on the, the results of the conversation we just had. If you lose two or three defensive backs, that's probably your top priority at this point. I would say that the Buccaneers need more edge pressure, even though Anthony Nelson did kind of mm -hmm. develop nicely, and you're still hoping for more out of Joe, try and Shinka. But you do have Shaq Barrett coming back from injury, and you do have Cam Gill coming back from injury. So you may be able to reestablish some depth there without having to spend a high draft pick on it, right? Right. Um, but you also could look at the offensive line if, you know, did they, were they satisfied with the results on the interior line this year? And if not, do they think they can get more out of the same players or do you need to go get another one? So I, I know they like to use day two picks on offensive linemen. We've seen it work out a lot with Ali Marpet and, and Alex Kappa and guys like that. Mm -hmm. So that could be something maybe you could do in the second or third round. And then, I mean, I don't know what the 19th, 19th pick which is where we're locked in in every round if there's going to be a quarterback there. But if Tom Brady is gone and you don't know if Kyle Trask is the answer, you never know. If yeah. you have an opportunity and a guy falls, it's at least got to be considered. And we haven't really considered that the last couple of years. So it is interesting to have that topic back on the table. Yeah, that is going to be interesting. And then also looking at this offseason now, you know, Coach Bowles didn't get the job until March 30th last year. Now to be going into this offseason as the head coach, how do you think that changes things of where you know the offseason for him are there certain decisions he gets to make or, or changes that it's just got to be so interesting when it was such a late decision last year there's only so much you can kind of do or to, to put your mark on yep. the organization how do you think that could change the way that he and the organization are approaching this year well obviously I would think he'd have more of a voice in the dip, in the time period from now to the first few weeks of free agency he was in, in place before the draft so there was plenty of time for him to make his mark there but this isn't this was never going to be Todd Bull sits in a throne upstairs and makes every single decision. Mm -hmm. This was always going to be a collaborative effort with Jason Light and all of his people and his coaches, Todd's coaches. So he's going to meet with them. I'm sure he has ideas of what he wants at certain positions, and he's going to make his voice heard. But this is going to always be a collaborative situation. And so I guess uh, he could put his mark on the types of players that he's asking for them to mm -hmm. find, whether it's we need more speed or we need bigger guys or whatever. We've, he's always, I think, preferred bigger guys up front and a cornerback. So there are certainly things that the scouts are going to know that he prefers, but still, like I said, collaborative effort. On the defensive side of things, um, this defense had been known for its run defense in particular the last few years. 
that was up and down this year where some games they were holding teams to almost nothing that were really good at and other games they were giving up 130, 150, 170 mm -hmm. yards. Um, what do you see as the defensive front of this year between the D-line and inside linebackers in particular, what that group looked like, what it could look like this next year to try to get back to that yeah. powerhouse level of run stoppage in particular? I'd say it was a little bit surprising that um, the run defense was so spotty because when you talk about the guys that you're lining up there, Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks next to each other, and Levante David and Devin White, good tacklers, good range, know what they're doing in this defense. I would have thought you would have got better results out of that. So uh, Akeem Hicks, of course, part of it was that Akeem Hicks was hurt for a while. Vita was hurt for a while. So you had a limited number of games where they were both together and 100%. And I think we did better in those games. Like uh, Vita came back for the Carolina game. The Panthers had just rushed for 320 yards the week before. But with Vita and Akeem in there, we really held up very well. I think the part that probably... The coaches will be going over the film and, and they'll see parts that they're not happy with where some of it, is, it wasn't talent or the right personnel. It was just missed assignments, you know, yeah. mental errors and missed Emmys and MAs, mental yeah. errors and missed assignments and guys out of their gap. And so you could be having a good day against the run and then somebody makes a mistake and, and uh, you know, the opposition pop, pops one for 40 yards and now your day doesn't look so good. Anymore. Yeah. And for the offense, you know, we talked about that they just never seemed to quite gel the way that we hoped or get over the hump, however you want to describe it, and especially with some of the chemistry with Brady and Mike Evans that was a little surprising when there was some missed assignments there. Or um, just in general, I think I look back at training camp and we talked about this wide receiver room and what we thought it could be, look like. And a lot happened in terms of injuries of taking Chris Godwin a while to get back into form. Julio Jones was basically on the injury report mm -hmm. all year. Russell Gage on and off the injury yeah. report all year. Um, not a ton from Scotty Miller, Brashad Perriman as right. much. So that wide receiver group, what do you see as the future of the group as it exists now? And is how much is that an area of potential turnover or keeping similar guys and just maybe hoping that next year there's more of that chemistry? I think that's a group that is just a really interesting one for me for next year. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, uh, Mike and, and Chris are both still under contract for next year, so uh, they'll still be the focal point, I'm sure. You have to decide if you want to bring Julio Jones and uh, Scotty Miller and Brashad Perryman back because they're all unrestricted free agents. Um, but you do have Russell Gage for a couple more years, too. So even if Julio isn't back, you've got still got a pretty good three, and I think you would feel just as good coming into next year with Mike, Chris, and Russell Gage as your top three as you did heading into this year, and you hope for better luck with um, with injuries and also you just simply need for the receivers to thrive especially guys like Mike who can get downfield they need they need the quarterback to have time to throw mm -hmm. and so it all it all comes together right it's, it's not just one thing it's not that the receivers had a disappointing season you know Mike and Chris both got over a thousand yards and Russell was not really a hundred percent most of the year but when he was towards the end he he became pretty darn productive so I think that's a group that you probably don't have to do a whole lot with as long as you're healthy, to feel good about going into next year. And for the run game, do you feel like it's something where majority in terms of the offensive line dictating how that's going to look, do you feel like we see Leonard Fournette, Rashad White as the tandem back again next year? What, mm -hmm. what could just the overall run game look like between the offensive line and those guys and the ways to definitely average more than, you know, they were this year of under yeah. 80 yards a game yeah, and like trying to five yards carry. Too. Yeah. The, the, trying to alleviate the need to throw the ball 1 mm -hmm. trillion times. How do you feel like they approach that? What are the ways that you see that improving next year? Well, one thing um, I would say, I would expect that Todd Bowles 
will um, have a directive next year, going into next year that, again, I'm not talking about bounce, but we, he has said after a number of games, including this one, that he thinks we should have run the ball more. We should have, I think this time he said we should have stuck with the run a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be maybe a little bit of a philosophical shift, especially depending upon who your quarterback is, right? But, um, yeah, it, I think we saw a lot from Rashad White, and now he's going to have another full offseason to, to work with the coaches and, and really hone his skills and get the offense down. And, and I think you could see this season, which was good but not crazy productive, right? Right. Be sort of a springboard for him, and, and he gets an even bigger role next year. But you still have Leonard Fournette under contract, and he's got a pretty healthy contract as well. So his role shouldn't be minimized. But both those guys can catch the ball in the backfield, so they both can be productive on any down. And I think towards the second half of the season, you just saw they were almost – they were almost rotating one drive to the next, right? Yeah. We always talk about how much turnover there is every year on a roster, that it's never the same. There's always going to be a fair amount of turnover. And then, of course, when you have this many free agents, it's just kind of understandable. It might be even more than the average year, potentially. We don't know. But if you were to guess where the areas you think there might be the biggest changes personnel-wise of where the roster looks the most different or where we're saying next year, of man, look at all these new faces or look at this reshaped, Whatever yeah. it is, what what areas would you say that's? I would be? say probably on the defensive front with mm. the down linemen because Will Golston is an unrestricted free agent and has played for what ten or eleven years mm-hmm. now. Um, Akeem Hicks, free agent. Raheem Nunez Rochez, free agent. Patrick O'Connor, free agent. Deidre's not free agent. Wow. I mean, you basically have Vita Everybody Vea, but Vea. Yeah. and Logan Hall. Wow. And so I would expect Logan Hall gets a bigger role. Vita Vea, obviously, you've got him under contract longer than anybody else on this whole roster, so he's a he's a cornerstone for you. And they could try to bring back some of these guys like Will or Akeem, mm-hmm. but I could see changes there, which is another area that could be a focal point early in the draft, in the first couple of days of the draft, because a lot of those guys are not only free agents, but they're also getting up there a bit in years. And so you, Akeem Hicks, I think he played very well when he played this year, but you bring in those guys and you you understand they come with the possibility of a, a higher possibility of injury risk, right? Right. And so you get some young guys in there, you, t- you tend to expect to have better luck with them on the health front. So I could see a lot of turnover there. Yeah, that's going to be so interesting to watch. Um, and then we have about 30 seconds left. <laughs> Biggest goal for the team for next year, what do you think it is? Solve the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either get Tom Brady, get Tom Brady to agree to come back, or find an answer out there on the free agency market, or find out if Kyle Trask is your guy, or if yep. you want to roll with Blaine Gabbert. There's a lot of ifs, a lot of different avenues you could go down there, and it could really change the perplex, the complexion of this team depending which way you go. Yeah, no big deal. Just solve the quarterback problem. Yeah. Whatever NFL team says. Every, exactly. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you as always for being with us. We really appreciate it and all of your work on Buccaneers.com. And I know that everyone will be excited to see everything you got going on with all these storylines moving forward. And thanks to all of you guys for being with us this whole year on Buccaneers Total Access. Brought to you by Evan Health. This is Buccaneers Radio.